Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are joined by a very special guest because it is time to prognosticate. It's our uh, old friend from. Yeah, that's a a $5 word right there. It's our old friend from the Raining Jays, host of the Locked On Celtics podcast, John Corrales. And we're here to preview the Boston Celtics playing the Brooklyn Nets in the first round of the playoffs. They did make it. Um, We talked about their win over the Wizards on John's podcast and Locked on Celtics. Also, we talked about it with the Wizards after dark guys, Wizards after dark guys on our feed. So if you want to hear about that, check it out there. But we are focusing on the future. We're focusing on the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics. And then I want to talk later just about what you guys, your bold predictions for what happens in this playoffs. But John, you are our guest. What do you see as uh, going to happen first, just generally with this Nets Celtics series? So um, I've settled on the Celtics coming in and shocking the world in game one (laughs) (laughs) and taking uh, I, I, I get this feeling that they're going to take game one if they take any of them. What gives you that feeling? Uh, because I feel like the the Celtics are 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 still kind of like the underdogs. And this is like the, the Celtics always want to counterbalance whatever the public opinion is. And like they went into the play-in game where everybody's saying they suck. And they still feel like um, I think people are going into this series, people saying they suck. And I think Brooklyn's probably going to need a game or two just to kind of get up to speed, you know, get everybody together. They haven't, those, those big three haven't played all that much together. So I think there might still be, I don't want to say chemistry. I think they're just going to maybe screw around a little bit. And the, the Celtics are going to be like there, you know, oh, here comes the seventh seed. We don't care so much. They might go cold. Celtics are riding high. Uh, so this is this is the game they steal. Somebody goes, somebody goes cold. Uh, Tatum goes nuts. Kemba goes nuts. And you know, once we once we all start to believe in them after game one, then forget it. Oh, you're gonna be a believer after the game one upset. Well, I think what's gonna happen <laughs> is they're gonna the, the national narrative, you're gonna get all of the, the sports hot take shows, and people are gonna be like, This oh, the Celtics are back. They're watch this Cinderella team give the Nets a you know a run. Like, no, they're I don't think they're gonna give the Nets a run, but I think that they're gonna do enough where they could probably steal game one and then 
maybe steal another game, but I don't think if this game if this game go if this series goes six, I think we should all be happy. It's going to be a short series. Yeah, it's it's going to be a short series. The Celtics are just overmatched. They are totally overmatched. They would have been overmatched even with Jalen Brown. He's out. Robert Williams, if he Should plays, be will be hobbled. He looked horrible after coming back from that toe injury in the second half against Washington to the point where I have no idea why they even let him step on the court, not just because they were risking his health, but because he was clearly not ready to play a basketball game. Respect to him, though. Um, I just think from a Celtics perspective, like judging success in this series won't be about winning the series. It may not even be about winning games in the series. It's more about what it looks like. And, you know, does Tatum continue to show the progression? And in a series against Harden and KD and Kyrie, can he, he show like, I'm... I may not be on these guys' level yet, but I am very, very close. And I, I think he could. I think the way he played against Washington is the way he always needs to play. Like, seek out mismatches, hunt the basket, crush, 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 crush. There was no settle in his game against Washington. You know, pe- people talk about the the Kobe thing all the time, like, like I, I think Chad Finn wrote a story recently about how he, he should have idolized KG instead of Kobe. But the one thing about Kobe that was more impressive than anything else, that motherfucker was relentless. And, and he wasn't going to stop doing what he wanted to do because of anything the defense tried. And I think if, if Tatum takes anything from his idol, it should be that. And I think against Washington, you know, it wasn't his – most efficient shooting game. He was 14 for 32, but but he just kept putting relentless pressure on them and picking on their weaker defenders. And eventually, you know, he was up in, into the 40-point range after the end of the third quarter and then reached 50 in a game the Celtics obviously needed to win. So I think that's the next step in his evolution. And if he can do that against KD and Harden, then, then the Celtics will probably come away from this series you know, pretty excited about that. And then the other thing is Kemba. You like him him being really good in this series would, would give them a better feel too heading into the offseason. I don't know. Like Kemba needs to be good and he's been playing very well recently, especially knocking down his three point shooting. Uh his like three straight threes to start the third quarter after the in house DJ played Timber by uh Pitbull and Kesha. I think it it led to it literally going down. But he had those three straight threes and then you've uh, another play where they like gave him a lot of attention and Jason Tatum got a catch and shoot uh, three in the corner. That's not something Tatum uh, gets a lot. And that was like to cap the big 17 to two run. So I think like those guys need to be very good on offense for the Celtics to keep up. But if I'm the nets, aren't I just throwing two guys at Jason Tatum the entire time and like making someone else on the Celtics make a play. And just the thing that is, I'm just worried about uh, is, from the offensive perspective, the offense just doesn't really look great when Tristan Thompson's in the game, and especially as him as like a guy who sets a pick and as a role man, like he, that's something Robert Williams was good at and could set a pick, make the catch play four on three. That's just not Tristan Thompson's game really. And so I just see the nets just throwing two guys at Tatum the whole time and just begging 
Kemba, Marcus Smart, and Fournier to make plays. And I just don't know if they're consistent enough to do that at this point. Well, that's going to be where where the Celtics have a chance to to either keep it close or where the things are going to fall apart. Because when you do blitz Jason Tatum, which they absolutely should, and get the ball out of his hands, first, Tatum's got to be quick with that decision and make them pay for that. Like, you can't hold on to it. You can't. Uh, you you can't just lose yourself in that double team. You got to make sure you know what's coming. You see what's coming. You get the ball out of your hands, and those guys have to move the ball. And it has to be super quick decisions. They can't do what they normally do, where catch and survey and all of that stuff. So, if you get it over to Fournier and he drives and he kicks, can you have Kemba, you know, dropping down into the corner? Can you work something where you you get a lob over to Tristan Thompson? And that's going to be where the Celtics make Brooklyn Brooklyn work on defense. And that's if there's any weakness to exploit, it's going to be that. It's going to be that Brooklyn's going to try to do something defensively that on the back end, they're going to be slow kind of recovering. There's going to be slow help. And can you take advantage of that and make them regret double teaming? Because if you if you double team Tatum and he gets the ball out quick and it results in in points for other guys, then at some point they're going to be like, well, we can't double-team Tatum anymore. We're going to have to figure out another way to do this and maybe go some zone and, and, and try to prevent that way, and then Tatum can get going. But the question for Tatum is not only is it can he make those quick decisions, but after when, when Brooklyn switches, can he keep making the right plays instead of searching for his own offense? Because one thing that – he, he was aggressive, but he, he was aggressive in the flow against Washington. And it wasn't just a get it and look and be like, oh, okay, let me, let me, let me take 20 dribbles. He's, if he gets it in the flow and, and can be aggressive again and turn corners after Brooklyn switches their defense, then I think, I think then they can make it, they can make it interesting. The thing that also bothers me about Tristan Thompson is just his lack of size. It feels like you got a lot of concerns about Tristan. I do. I thought the Celtics were immediately going to lose that game once I saw Rob Williams go down. Plus fifteen, Tristan Thompson. I just like he he was on the court while Jason Tatum dominated and Russell Westbrook was awful, but he, he also he did some big offensive rebounds. That's what he does because he's uh, too busy clogging up the offense and not doing anything. I think like I, the the Celtics. The game that sticks out to me uh, is when they played a a smaller team like the Hornets, and the Hornets just like had P.J. Washington at the five and could play very small and switch a lot of uh, things and played fast. Like the Celtics have no way to physically punish the Brooklyn Nets, and I think they can get away, I think, with playing Jeff Green at center or like moments of Blake Griffin where – I don't know about Blake Griffin. He's not as good defensively, but they still, Jeff Green's getting a lot of minutes here. And I just think they can kind of also play this switchable defense where they can uh, throw different things at Jason Tatum. I just think it's going to be so much pressure on him to actually score the basketball that for them to win a game, I think they need Tatum to score 30, Kemba to get close to 30, and then another guy to get you 20 points or the, the bench needs to combine for six threes like they just need a third uh something there that i just don't know like there's no reliable source of that scoring right now so this the celtics defense is in so much trouble they are i would say like the whole jeff green point like i would almost i i I might actually put jeff green in there against tristan thompson 
and dare Tristan Thompson just post them up. Like my best defense against the Celtics would is be Tristan to, Thompson trying to get his own baskets. We've seen exactly. that all year. It doesn't that, work. That's it. Like if you if you can throw somebody in there and Tristan's gonna be like, oh man, I'm gonna feast right now. Then you then all of a sudden your defense against everybody else gets better because Tristan Thompson's doing all the stuff and your guys don't actually have to defend. So okay, so maybe he scores a couple of times on on Jeff Green. Maybe he won't because he's not exactly the most efficient guy down there. So throw a guy in there, try to bait him into playing an offensive game, and then see if Brad Stevens won't adjust to be like, all right, we got to get Tristan out because he's killing us offensively. And you throw in, I don't know, Grant Williams. What's the adjustment there? That's the thing that's very interesting uh, because Luke Cornett is not great. Oh, well, let's. This brings me to my first uh, segment. I was going to ask you guys what player you think is going to be the biggest X factor. Let's limit it to the Celtics. Uh, who's the big, most important player? Like, if they played very well, it could swing things in their favor. Uh, I mean, it won't swing things in their favor, but I think Neesmith is very important in this series because, like, you're going to need to guard Harden. You're going to need to guard Durant. Neesmith is going to get an education. Those two guys are just absolute craftsmen. And is he going to get an opportunity or is Shemi Ojale going to play eight minutes in the first half? <laughs> I think Neesmith's going to get some burn, man. I mean, you got, you've got to, because you got to have somebody out there that has that energy. They're just going to need to, to, to get an energy guy out there. Ojale didn't exactly play the best minutes in, in this, uh, in, in the play in game. Oh no, they were bad. They Brad's substitution <laughs> patterns in the second quarter. Like it was erratic. They had so many different, just trying to get something to work. I think it's interesting if you go Neesmith or Romeo, just because I think Romeo is a little bit more experienced as a defender, but Neesmith gives you like like much more shooting on offense. So I think you try Neesmith first and see if he can't get going, and then you go to Romeo if needed because you just don't trust Romeo exactly the same. Although he's much more in control on his drives and, and he can get to the rim, but um, I. I'd still go with Neesmith first because you're gonna you're gonna get an opportunity to get open shots. You're either going to get catch and shoots when the Brooklyn defense is in rotation, and they're gonna leave somebody to come over and help on drives, assuming that after Tatum gets blitzed, things go the way they're supposed to go. Or if Brooklyn starts to go zone, you're gonna need somebody to attack over the top and, and shoot over the top. So I, I think he's gonna have those opportunities before Romeo gets those opportunities. But it's going to be one of those two guys. Neesmith was going to be my answer, but I can easily switch over to um, to Romeo because Romeo will get that that opportunity to be a defender. And if nothing else, six fouls. But if he can be somewhat of a decent defender in whomever he, he starts to guard, then he, he could provide some something that, that, that allows the Celtics to, to keep it close. Second, second choice for X-Factor. Center Grant Williams. You, think, you didn't give me a choice to choose my own X Factor? That was going to be my pick, but go ahead. I, I didn't realize you were asking yourself, too. But go <laughs> ahead. I didn't mean to steal your thunder and your pick. Well, let's see if you agree. But he's going to play a lot of minutes at backup center because the Nets don't have anyone big. And so if they play Jeff Green or you play uh, Blake Griffin, you can get away with uh, Grant Williams playing his best position like they – 
I just worry for Grant Williams when he, if they do put him in and then play like a heavy switching lineup, he's going to get caught out trying to guard Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant. But I do think that's, that's like the option at backup five that makes the most sense to me. I just don't know if you can put like Luke Cornett in the game. And so Grant, maybe knocking down some corner threes, playing the five. It's uh, if he plays well, things are, uh, it's certainly a good sign for the Celtics, but I think he's going to get a lot of minutes, and I just don't know how those are going to go. I think it's it's got to be a center grant series because, first of all, like you said, the switching is going to be huge because the Nets just have so much shooting. If you come, if you're not attached to bodies, if you're not switching, like somebody's going to be wide open. They're they're too good at shooting, too good at passing, and then the other part, obviously, I don't expect Robert Williams to have much impact, if any, during this series, like. He's been hobbled for a while now. He was clearly banged up, I thought, to begin last night's game and then had a bad fall and then came back and couldn't even remotely move during the minute and a half or whatever it was he played at the beginning of the third quarter. So I'm I'm not expecting too much from Robert Williams, which is too bad because I I think – you know this this would have been super valuable experience for him to to play against an offense like that and to to play substantial playoff minutes i mean i know he played some stretches against toronto but there just hasn't been much experience for him in those moments so this could have been super valuable um and it, it really is too bad that he's hurt it's a shame that we didn't get to see the full celtics i mean already like jalen brown and a healthy robert williams I mean, it's a shame we didn't get to see the whole full Celtics all season long. But, Dad, if you, you had Jalen Brown in this series and Robert Williams, what kind of pressure that could have put on Brooklyn's defense? I, I thought that even after a, you know, a seven, uh, you know, falling to the seventh seed, that group with Kemba playing the way he's playing and Jalen and, and Robert Williams, the way, the way that, that group was offensively, like they could have put up a ton of points against Brooklyn. And the question would have been how well could they have defended Brooklyn? And that, that would have been a fun series. Like this is going to be a shame. And going back to your earlier point, like this is all about like moral victories. Now at this point, you just prove to us that when things are more normal and you've got practice time and days in between games, and it's, it's not this crush of everything and you know COVID and all that stuff that proved to us that we actually had a right to believe in them earlier this season, and and the circumstances were were a bigger part of this than people have cared to admit. I think they could like play their asses off and still just get smoked in four games. Just like they, the Nets have Kevin Durant. Like I don't, people are yeah. not talking about this enough. Uh, John, you're already <laughs> on the record that you think they might steal game one. So I'm going to, in the official um, prediction, I'm going to lock you in for a one and one in the first two games in Brooklyn. Yeah. Jay, what do you think happens over the first two games uh, of this series? Game one, Celtics get absolutely demoralized. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> like, think of how excited Brooklyn is for this moment. Kyrie and and KD signed there before last season. They've been waiting to get to the playoffs together this whole time. James Harden 
forced his way out of Houston where he was very disgruntled. He's been waiting for a chance to have a roster like this entering the playoffs. They are so ready for this, or they should be so ready for this. And I just think it's it's going to be bad for the Celtics in game one. They they won't know what to do with the pace, the shooting, the passing, all the talent. And there's just so much basketball intelligence on that team. When, when you think about all the, the veteran experience that even Blake Griffin has, that that even LaMarcus Aldridge has, that Dude retired. Oh yeah. <laughs> LaMarcus Aldridge is retired. That is true. But <laughs> but his experience counts for that team. But but yeah, but like Jeff Green has a lot of experience. He's not the smartest player, but like all those guys are veterans in fill role. I can't believe I just said LaMarcus Aldridge. That was classic. Classic <laughs> moment for the kid. Um but De- DeAndre Jordan, you know, he he's a guy who's played a lot of big games. Like there's just so much more basketball know-how on that roster and just guys who have been around it. Whereas the Celtics are going to be playing a lot of young guys with Neesmith, Pritchard, um, you know, even, you know, Shemi is still on his rookie contract. Grant Williams is super inexperienced. So if Robert Williams plays, that's another guy who's barely played in the playoffs. So I just think there's a different level of, of IQ and intellect that the Celtics won't be prepared for. They're going to get smoked in game one. All game of two. that analysis for one game. What do, you <laughs> happen, what do you think happens in game two? Game game two is going to be close. Oh, I kind of agree with you. I, I was actually uh, buying what you were saying. I think the Celtics get a little bit better in game two, slow down the, the Nets a little bit. And Tatum gets it going because he's just going to get uh, absolutely all the attention in game one. Celtics still lose. I mean, I think they're just, you know, basketball is a game of runs. I feel like the Nets are just going to keep on going on runs where they just get buckets after buckets after buckets. And the Celtics are not, we've just seen that that, that is something that rarely happens for them. They were lucky against Washington that uh, Washington didn't score any points while the Celtics spent a bunch of time also not scoring any points. And so Jay and I, 0-2, John at 1-1, one and, one, and then we have Game 3, the return of Kyrie Irving to the Boston Garden. We got some FU Kyrie chants last night. Uh, I think yeah. we got some frustrated and uh, over-served Celtics fans that are going to be in the building for Game 3 what do you guys think is going to happen, and how many points does Kyrie score? I will say that Kyrie comes in, and the entire team is going to be focused um, on. They're going to boo every time he touches the ball. It's going to be like right. that. I, There's going to be multiple he, "fuck you, Kyrie" chants. I think he's going to feed into that. I think he's going to feed into that. Think the, the the Nets are going to feed into that, and they're going to they're going to make sure that Kyrie gets like forty five in this game. And I think you know who's really good and capable of scoring a bunch of points, especially if they're very motivated. Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving dropped like sixty. Yeah, I think I think Kyrie Irving. Like I can tell you, there's no better feeling than shutting up a hostile road crowd. And Kyrie Irving, I think, will relish the ability to come into Boston and hear all of that. And I know there's this whole preconceived notion of that. He doesn't want to go into those cities, but 
He's got no choice. It's a playoff series. He's going to come in here. I think he's going to be motivated. Uh, I think the Celtics lose game three, and and Kyrie's going to have like a big like, fuck me? No, no, fuck you. See, I think game three is going to be the LaMarcus Aldridge game. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's going to have a really big outing. Uh, I think they're just going to ride him probably to victory. No, game game three, I think Boston takes that one. I think that's going to be the Marcus Smart game. Like just the random Marcus Smart game where he hits every three. We've seen it. We've seen it in series that the Celtics have won. Like the the Toronto series last year when what did Smart hit five straight three-pointers? Yeah. We've seen it in series that they've lost. The Cleveland series after Isaiah Thomas was shelved by an injury, Marcus Smart just went absolutely bonkers to to take game three. I just think there's going to be a random Marcus Smart game. Like there's always a random Marcus Smart game. And he'll get James Harden in foul trouble. He'll make a ton of threes. And then the crowd is just going to be relentlessly heckling Kyrie Irving. And it'll be, for one day, a party in Boston. Yeah, riding the juice, riding the vitriol, riding the drunken positive energy, or I guess not positive energy of the fans. I could see Marcus Smart responding to that. I think the key to that is like him taking a big fall or a shot to the nuts earlier in the game. It feels like he plays much better and can really activate his uh, impacting of winning after that happens. I don't think the I, – I think Kyrie's going to go off, but um, the next interesting thing is I think game four is after May 29th, and so – the garden, uh, or at least allowed to be at full capacity. I think that's going to be an interesting environment. I think they're going to be down 0-3. The chance to sweep the full garden. Uh, I think if the Celtics have a chance of winning the game, it's going to be that one. Uh, and I think they pull it off just because it's a gentleman's sweep. I mean, you you, you naturally take uh, uh, some foot off the gas when it's after game three. And Jason Tatum just says, we're not, we're not going to go out like that. Tatum puts up like 45 Peyton Pritchard, I think, goes six of nine from three in that game. And the Peyton just, Pritchard game. And Evan Fournier has seven assists. Okay, are, are you guys concerned about Fournier's playoff history? Not no. really. No. I mean, we we, we kind of covered this, and I think you made a good point on the Locked On Celtics podcast where his playoff history is you know, part of the Orlando Magic, and they're always, 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 always facing good teams, and he was – always their number one option. So I, I don't think that he's such a competitor. It's, it's been pretty clear that he's a competitor and I think he's going to get some open looks. Uh, I think this team gives him confidence to, to play his game. And so I'm not, I'm not really concerned about that. Um, I, I also think that game four with the full garden is going to be, I'll, I'll just go for it. I'll say it's a Celtics win. I think the Celtics. Ooh, tie so he's got the series. A- Tying up the series. I got him tying up the series. Why not? What the hell? Full garden, full roar. The Nets feeling good after coming in and waxing the the, the Celtics uh, in game three. Let's go full full garden, throws them off, and the, it more importantly gives the Celtics a, a an adrenaline boost, and they come back and win in overtime. Ooh. Overtime game four. Okay, How's so I, I feel like a lot of this series for the Celtics is like, what does Jason Tatum do? How does his development continue? How does he continue to learn? 
How does he show progress? Like that to me is one of their the biggest things that they should want to gauge from this series. And one of the the biggest things that they should focus on um, moving forward. Like, obviously, there's there's nothing more important than Jason Tatum in this franchise. What do, what do you guys think, like, a successful series from him looks like? Like, what, what does he need to do to kind of shove aside some of the unease about parts of his season? I mean, it's, it's all about being aggressive. I mean, he doesn't have to average 45 points a game. It'd be nice, but, like, it's all about being aggressive and making that that right play. So when he does get blitzed, giving the ball up early, when he does drive and, and they collapse, kicking it out, uh, that 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 game manipulation that you mentioned when you talked about his his game on the Lockdown Celtics podcast, that whole thing where he's in control of the game. And even though the Celtics might lose and we can say, hey, look, the Celtics just didn't have enough, they were outclassed, if Tatum on his end can – pass out of the double teams, or even split the double teams and make plays. If he can do things that are very clearly the right play at the right time that lead to at least good looks or successful possessions for the Celtics, then that's that's all I want. It really is. like People do not want to hear about moral victories, but those are the only moral victories that we're going to have left. Can the Celtics go out there and show us what a little glimpse of what they truly could have been had this the circumstances of this season not been what they were. And if Tatum had never caught COVID and had a normal progression to his season, maybe we could have seen more of that potential MVP candidate that, that we thought might've been possible. Maybe one of those fifth place MVP type voting, or maybe even better than that this year. But I want to see Tatum just go be the star that he is. And at the end of people can say like, well, Tatum tried, then that, that would be the reaction I want to get from a successful Tatum series. He has to have the ultimate growth mindset. He is going to fail. Like they're not going to win the series. How much do you embrace the failure and still like go balls to the wall as much as possible and take it as much as like a learning moment as possible. He, I think struggled uh, towards the in clutch against the heat in the Eastern conference semifinals last year. Uh, But I think that's part of his growth was like, he was getting all of the attention and I think he need like his learning uh, how to make the right the play. Zones. The zones. And the really, zones specifically really designed to, to stop him. I don't, think the, struggling. I don't think the Nets are going to pull out any zones um, trying to mix back in these guys. But I think it's important for him to basically like he is going to be the, the top guy. They're going to throw every like all of their attention on him. And how does he respond? And does he like take his uh, his failure and his probable ass kicking as a moment to like better himself or like figure something out about the game? Because I think it's like the long-term pivot is to next year, but you still have such an opportunity playing against a hell of a team and hell of a talent to just like grow your game and learn a lot from playing top talent. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is just, can he produce a good quality look on the majority of possessions? Can he do what he wants to do? Can the Celt- Can he get the Celtics what they want from a possession? And it's not always going to work out. Like sometimes he's going to pass to Grant Williams on the wing and Grant Williams is going to miss a three. Or sometimes he's going to miss a good shot. But I think far too often this year, far too often in his career, he, he's gone through spurts where he lets the, the 
defense off the hook. And he has to counter whatever, like it's the playoffs. They're going to be scouting Boston probably for the whole week. Like they're going to have something to throw at Jason Tatum. It's like his ability to counter that and like respond to what they're doing and kind of make them change. And I I think uh, we've seen a a lot of stars probably in his situation. Um, Like it's tough. It's really tough when a defense can key on you and they will be able to key on him, even though Kemba Walker is a high scorer. And even though Evan Fournier has a lot of skill, like there will be places to help off of in this Celtics lineup. And the Nets are going to do whatever they can to, to keep him off balance, whatever they can to take away his rhythm. Can he still get good shots for his team? And that's that's the level you you think of when when you think of the real best players in the league, you know, like 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 Nikola Jokic, you know he is going to get his team a good look. It's just going to happen. Like he's going to make the right decision. If you double him, he's going to find a guy. If you don't double him, he's going to pick you apart. And and that's a level Tatum has to progress to. I'm I'm not expecting him to be a Jokic level decision maker at any point in his career. Never mind now, but like continue to progress toward getting what you want rather than what the defense wants. And I, I think the Washington game was was a good step in that development. That was one of the better games he's ever had in that sense. Yeah, I've talked about him needing to play through guys a lot more. Uh, my, my theory on Tatum, I don't know if I've shared it with you guys, but my theory on Tatum has been that He's been like the big skinny guy for for so long, so much of his life that he plays. He plays like a guy who has always wanted to avoid contact. And now that he's like, he's finally like a a big, strong guy. Like he, I don't think he, he's only just starting to like realize the full potential of, of being as strong as he's become. Like we've started to see him get into the post and turn and kind of like, put his arms out and, and try to draw those fouls. Like that's, that's kind of a, a new recent wrinkle going in there and trying to manipulate and get those calls is relatively new. And I think it's a function of him just being stronger and realizing how much stronger he has become. And his game is evolving to, to kind of match the work that he's put into the weight room. So I want to see that continue when he talks about playing off of two feet a lot. When Tatum's playing off of one foot, he's always fading one way or the other or, fa- or, or, or fading away. When he plays off of two feet, he's planting and he's going towards that rim. And the reason that is so important is when you, when you go off of one foot and you're fading, first of all, that's a harder shot. Second of all, if you get hit, it doesn't change the trajectory of your body at all. It, you just keep continuing to fade and the referee has no real frame of reference other than maybe hearing a slap. And if they don't see it, if they get screened out, they don't see that. But if you get in there, get off of two feet and head towards that rim, if you get knocked off that line at all, that is a foul. It looks like a foul and you get to the line. So that's one of the ways that he's able to get to the line a little bit more. And that's why all season long, when we talk about uh, what do you need to get, do to get more free throws. And he says playing off of two feet more. That's a, that's a big, big thing. I think it's, it's, it's pretty interesting to me that the Celtics have been like he and Brad both have been pretty open about both hearing the criticisms of Jason Tatum's leadership. And I I thought Tatum's comments about that were kind of interesting, not because of what he said, which is obvious that he's not going to be like the in your face type guy. He's never going to be that. I think we've all known that probably from the time he was a rookie, just, just watching him. He's, he's, he's so laid back. Like, 
he's basically playing basketball with sunglasses on, you know, like, like that, that's the type of cat he is. Um, but, but like kind of it speaking out about that, I feel like is, is interesting. And, and I feel like he's always been one of the guys to kind of shy away from saying much interesting in the press. Um, but for whatever reason, like the, the leadership stuff like that, that reached him, you know. And Did he speak out about it, or was he asked like he, he was asked about leadership? But then he went on to say, kind of like, I I know what what people want me to be. I, I I know that they want me to be this this guy that's yelling and screaming. But like, I don't I don't have to be that, and I'm not going to be that, and that's okay. And I think that this year has been like really really difficult on him. Um, obviously with the COVID stuff, but but also just because the Celtics stunk. And like he just took a lot of criticism, and I don't think all of it was deserved. I think like the I guess the the biggest problem I have with this game is like there's sometimes a lack of determination to get what he wants, and, and I don't I don't mean that to like like criticize his his toughness or anything like that, but he just needs to like take it a step farther to to initiate the contact to, to get to the spots he wants to do what he wants. Um, and I feel like, like that's the next step for him. And I guess I'm kind of on a rant about his leadership and his style. Um, but, but it's interesting to me that, that he's kind of acknowledged all that and, and that that's, it seems like that's kind of weighed on him a little bit or, or reached him. And then Brad Stevens defending him and Brad Stevens kind of defending the Celtics saying like, look, we've been through a lot. This year has been really, really challenging. And, him basically saying he's like proud of the guys and from the outsider's perspective it's like there hasn't been too much to be proud of of late but Brad's like yeah you know what like this this has been really really tough on these guys and and they're still playing hard they're still playing together and smart and Williams gutted it out so I just think it's like the outside perception compared to the inside perception at least from those two guys seems to be very different the the leadership thing is is the one thing that's been said about Tatum that that speaks to him personally. Like you can say, "Hey, man, why don't you attack more?" Or you know, "What do you need to do to be a, a better passer?" And all of that stuff. That's just basketball. The leadership thing is a personal thing. You're attacking him personally when you say that, um, or at least it comes off that way. And and that's the one thing that he's, I think. That's why it resonates with him because it's basically you can say you need to play basketball differently, but this is basically saying you need to be a different person. And and I, I think when that when you hear that from the other side, that's when you get a like a little bit of a chip on your shoulder and be like, you know what? What the fuck do you know about me? Like as a person, like I'm this is my personality. This is who I am. You want me to be somebody I'm not? Then you know, no, I'm not going to do that. Now I do I do agree that. Hey, maybe he needs to play with a little bit more of an edge. Maybe you, you do need to see a little bit more fire out of him in some circumstances. But he is who he is, and it's up to the it's up to the front office to build around that type of player. Do you have he you know he he's got a, a quieter demeanor, so that's why this team needs more of an edge coming off of the bench. If he had Russell Westbrook's personality, then you would need. Guys with, you know, then he'd go three for 16 in the biggest game of the season, <laughs> but you'd also need more like Al Horford's coming off of the bench, the more quiet veteran leaders. Like 
you you want to build your team with the balance and the personality, the edge and all that stuff can come from different places. It doesn't have to be from your number one guy. So, you know, look at Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard doesn't yell or scream and do anything, but he's Kawhi fucking Leonard. And like, but he's good enough to be the leader who's quiet. That's, that's who Jason Tatum's uh, most like in the NBA. Like he's, his personality is much more Kawhi Leonard than it is, you know, Russell Westbrook or any of the other fiery guys. So I can see why getting that, you know, getting that feeling. I also can see why people would say it, but I think the way this season has gone and, and Jay, especially because you're, I know you're covering the team the same way I am doing it through the zooms has, has created a disconnect. And I think that disconnect between us, we're supposed to be the eyes and ears for the fans. We're supposed to be in there with the, with the access to come back and like relay to everybody. Okay. This is the general tone, the general vibe. And we don't have that. We don't have the ability to see guys. We can't talk to them. We can't look in their eyes. We can't ask one-on-one questions. It's very, very difficult. And I think that disconnect there has created a bigger disconnect uh, in a fan base that's just angrier in general. I think out of the pandemic and, and like people have been cooped up and way too online. Like everybody just has a little bit more edge to them. And I think that's all conspired to get all of these crazy takes and to be more attacking of players. And look, I've, I've fallen into that trap too. I, I admit it. I've, I've had some takes where I, I, I've been maybe a little, you know, a, a couple notches too high on the volume meter. And, you know, you got to realize that some of this stuff that we say does get back to them. And if, if you say it the wrong way, uh, even if your intent was something different, it comes off as a personal attack. And, and none of this stuff should be a personal attack for these guys because it has been an incredibly difficult season. Yeah, the millionaires, yeah, they get you know nice travel and they stay in nice hotels, but they've been cooped up, not allowed to go anywhere, do anything, go out together, not even to go to dinner together. They've they've had to get up for testing multiple times a day. It's it's been a just chore for them throughout. So anything personal against these guys, that stuff that stuff should be you know thrown away. And and he seems to be a gamer too, right? Like. Like every time they play the Clippers or the Lakers, or he seems to have a huge game. Yeah. The rookie rookie year, his playoffs, like he had a really good rookie season. He reached an entirely different level during that playoffs. Last year, same thing. Like I just thought, like the, he, even though the efficiency wasn't there from what it was the last couple of months to the playoffs. I just thought the process of him trying to get to his spots and trying to get buckets was like just different. And then the, the assist, he raised the assist. So I think there's a long track record of him raising his game in the in the biggest moments and and on the biggest stages. And so I, I think the the conversation about him has been really twisted and in some cases misguided this season. Um and I just yeah, I found it interesting that like they're they're kind of fighting back against that. You know what the thing is is that he's not 19 anymore, and so people just don't talk about liar, him being you young. Liar! Well, people just don't say he's only 19, but adjust it. He's only 22. Like he's not been in this league very long. What other superstars uh, like put it all together this earlier in the career? Kevin Durant. It took him a while to kind of 
be on those teams where he was like a dominant player, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, even like early in the career, who becomes a dominant player like this or like a top MVP contender on their rookie contract. He's only 22 years old and is learning how to do all of these things where he was not the primary focus uh, and the leader of the team, uh, I think until this year. And so it's just, uh, he's very young and I think he's responded well. I think you're absolutely right that Jay, that he is a gamer and he's um, responded, like stepped up in big moments, but I don't know the Celtics have the youngest team this year. That's kind of wild. And that he's just like leading Romeo, Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, a bunch of other guys who are also 19 and like trying to lead them into battle. It's a pretty tough position uh, for him to be in. So um, all of that to say, uh, I think the Celtics lose game five. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we're still picking games. I'm with you. I'm with you. They lose game five and the series in Brooklyn. John, you got game five. goes to game six. Mine goes to game six, but I think they they lose both. I think they lose game five. They lose game six, which would be back in Boston. Um, I think, I think that I, I feel like the Celtics will acquit themselves fairly well. I think the conversation at the end of the series will go to the, the shame of it all that, that Boston will, you know, has, has befallen so much, you know, so, so much bad has happened to them all season long. And look, there are things that were in their control that they didn't do well. There are things that were out of control that that really hurt them. There's blame all the way around. You can go up to Danny Ainge for sure with the team construction. You can go up to ownership for sure because you know, like they had to give up Daniel Tice. Like losing Daniel Tice as a money saving move was was kind of brutal. Like that kind of hurt this team a lot. And especially now with Robert Williams hurt. Yeah, like, and that was the always the fear. The fear was like, yeah, give Robert Williams the starting nod, but you got to have like a decent third third big because right now you can't trust Robert Williams to stay healthy. And here we are, like losing Daniel Tice over tax dollars, which I understand that that repeater tax was coming and I I get the financial stuff, but the fact that it got to that was was problematic and, and not having Daniel Tice here is is a real that that really hurts. So there's blame across the board. Um, but I think when the series is over, I think the rational discussion will be that, look, they they persevered as best they could. They certainly didn't handle certain things well, but the, the circumstances of this season were just too, too much. And we saw with a little bit of time to prepare and a little bit of rest and Kemba being back to himself and all of that stuff that the Celtics could actually be a decent team and certainly not in the in the realm of this Brooklyn Nets team. And there's a, a big conversation to figure out what do they need to do to get into that realm. That's an entirely different discussion. But coming out of this series, I think people will will at least appreciate a little bit more of these guys have talent. They're the changes that need to be, to be made are not, I think, g- great overhauls. And I th- I think that the Celtics do have a core of something that can be very successful moving forward. The season does not stop with the Celtics. Uh, the it's the Nets will continue on after in our all three of our uh, make believe land. So to wrap up this podcast, I want to predict. I want predictions on every single series. We're going to go <laughs> rapid fire. 
Uh, you don't even have to give me games, but if you can give me games if you want. But I want to do the entire uh, Eastern Conference, Western Conference, and Finals. And so we'll start with the Sixers versus whoever they play. Who do you guys got? Sixers. Sixers. Nets versus the Celtics. We all took the Nets. Bucks, Heat. Bucks. Yeah, I'm going to go Milwaukee there. Big, I think it's big revenge. Big revenge energy. Big revenge. I think it's still Bucks and seven. Knicks, Hawks. Knicks. Knicks. Hawks. I can't stand the Knicks. I'm never going to pick them. Fuck the Knicks. <laughs> all right, let's go. Jazz Why do you hate versus- the Knicks so much? I just hate New York sports fans and just all these people dancing outside Madison Square Garden because the team is 500. And it's like, basketball's just, better when we're New York's You players. just hate like, a no, team that loves its players. No, I <laughs> I just grew up uh, like hating New York sports fans. I have multiple Yankees suck shirts. I just, I just, I don't like anyone uh, really <laughs> from New York who is a Knicks fan is what I'm trying to say. But we can agree to disagree. See, Jazz. I, I think that Knicks season has been so cool. That that Julius Randle thing has been sort of the closest to Isaiah that I think we've seen. Where like he goes from and, and Isaiah was an All Star the year before, like his one incredible, incredible year. Um, but both those guys were very overlooked, and then just put together absolutely monster seasons where they hit a point of the season that they just became unstoppable. And and they were doing it while dragging franchises that had been down in the Celtics case for just a short while, in the Knicks case for ever. Um, but I, I just feel like like it's been fun to watch the Knicks fans enjoy that. I I'll say this that if this exact thing happened, the exact same players and coach and all that stuff had happened in like Sacramento, it would be the feel-good story of the NBA. Jam would be on board. When it happens with the Knicks, there is a certain element of what you said. Oh, the league is just better when New York is good. I think it, it does bring out some level of arrogance that's like, all right, let's tone it down just a little bit. And we have that here in Boston. Don't get me wrong. And oh. That's why we know it so well is because <laughs> – we can identify it pretty easily. And so yeah. it's it's not a good look. Um, and so I also think how much can you really rely on Reggie Bullock to be uh, like your second best player on that team? I just, I think Trey Young and the Hawks are actually pretty good, but um, so it's part of it, it's hatred. And part of it is I think the Hawks are a decent team. Let's go over to the West, the jazz. And well, I guess we're recording this. Who do you think is going to win the play on playing game warriors or uh, Lakers. Yeah, I think the Lakers uh, pull it off. I, I would agree. I think the Lakers win that game. And then you think the Warriors beat the Grizzlies? The Warriors are going to beat the Grizzlies. I'm just going to say, right. we're not talking about the playing game. Jazz versus Warriors. Who do you think wins? It's going to be Warriors in the seventh seed. Oh, Ooh. Ooh, you say the Warriors. Wow. So I, don't really, I don't really believe that, but it'd be a lot of fun. It's spicy. For like six I'm definitely be, watching that game tonight. Um. So so if it's Utah Lakers, right? So wait, you the Lakers? Well, let's, let's let's focus on the Lakers. They either play the Suns or the Jazz. I don't think they're going to not make the uh, thing. What do you think happens? And then why do the Lakers win? I think the Lakers beat the the Suns. Um, 
just because I hate to say it, I just don't trust the Suns yet. I mean, it's this is like the um, you know, it's LeBron, it's it's AD. You just got no answers for for those guys, and and LeBron just impacts every element of the game. So, and and Chris Paul sort of is a guard version of that. Um, it, but you know, I I can't I can't bet against LeBron in that situation. I don't even want to bet against him against Utah. I just think that Utah is so potent and they have enough with go. They don't have like the guy that can proverbially pull Gobert out. They, like Montrez Harrell is not going to do it. Not like you, maybe you go Mark Gasol, but that's not going to be, if you let, if Mark Gasol beats you in a, in a playoff game then so be it, he's not. You just so, go Anthony Davis. Yeah. But I mean, Anthony Davis is going to give you whatever he gives you. Like, so you, you deal with that. Um, and and you can go you can go with different options guarding Anthony Davis and still keep Gobert in the middle and and, and still keep that defense. So I um, I'll still go Utah over the Lakers if they match up. Sheesh, you're creating multiple universes here. Um, so you think they're going to be the seven seed? Though I'm going to try and keep track of all of these. So uh, like, like yeah. So you think the Lakers move to the second round? Do you think Utah beats the Warriors? I'm very confused because I, I don't I'm, I'm I'm losing track of who's playing where. So <laughs> that's why I tried to make it simple. Are the Lakers making the second? You don't have the Lakers beating the Jazz, but you do have them beating the Suns. So this game tonight is very important. Yes. Okay. So then, in my world, the Lakers win this game, so they're a seventh seed and they beat the Suns, which means it's Golden State against Memphis. Golden State <laughs> or Golden State wins that, and they also beat the Suns. I'm I just, feel like I'm lost in a minute. No, then they play the Jazz. Up. Then they play the Jazz and lose. Then, right. then they play the Jazz. jazz. The, All right, we got sorry. it. 3-6 is the uh, Nuggets versus the Trailblazers. I think the uh, Nuggets are a better team. They win. Sure. I love that series. It's just two teams with That's gonna not, be good. Just not two great teams defenses hoops. And, and two absolute super-duper stars who don't have the most help, but also have like second scorers who can be awesome in Michael Porter Jr. and CJ McCollum. So I, I, I'm looking forward to that series quite a bit. Jokic, I love that. I love watching that dude play. The chunky dime slinger himself. All right. The no longer chunky dime slinger. The f- formerly known as the chunky dime slinger. Clippers, Mavericks. I have the Clippers. Yes, I got the Clippers too, but it's gonna be it's gonna be closer than I think a lot of people expect. Luca is just such a prop. Yeah, I think that. I, look, I think that Luca is gonna be a problem for them. I, I think they've got. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what they get from Porzingis. Is he, you know, like, what's what's he gonna do? I I got to I got to go with the Clippers. I mean, they're they're just the better team. I think the you know, obviously I'm not around them, but you know, you hear. The stuff that comes out of there that's positive. I think they just I don't know. I, I like I like the Clippers. I just think they're the more talented team and other than Luca, it's not plus not that great. Playoff rondo is gonna be huge for them. Uh so let's f- stay in the Western Conference. Who do you have making the Eastern Conference final or the Western Conference finals? I don't remember what universes you have. I have the Lakers and the Clippers. The Lakers will beat the 
uh, Nuggets pretty easily, and then the Clippers will take down the Jazz, all because Serge Ibaka will hit at least five threes a game and destroy Rudy Gobert. Ooh. Ooh. Serge destroying Rudy. He's pretty good at that pick and pop three. We saw it last year. He he is that. He is that. It's going to be... So in this bracket, I'll say I'll say Jazz Clippers. Is that is that right? I've got I'm going to go with Nuggets Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. You have the Nuggets beating the Suns in the second round? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I can see it happening if it uh, comes down to it. But it's really going to be wild where the Lakers land. But what if the Suns? Like no one believes. Literally, no one believes in the Suns. They do have playoff legend Jay Crowder on their team, which is just like not something you can really account for when you're doing projections. But you should. Uh, he's going to be gritty. Uh, I don't know. Well, the, the Lakers' path. I think the Lakers are automatically going to make the Western Conference Finals. It's just going to be who they take down in their path, and it could make the other team very interesting because. If they happen to lose this first game and then play the Clippers in the second round, that allows someone on the other side of the bracket to sneak in. But I think the Lakers win tonight, and then it's L.A., L.A. in the Western Conference Finals. Back to the Eastern Conference Finals. You guys have the Knicks against the Sixers. I have the Sixers against the Hawks. I think the Sixers win either series pretty easily. The big series, I think the most interesting series, is going to be Bucks versus the Nets. Who you guys got? Nets, but I think the Bucks are going to challenge them. Like they're going to push them to the point where the Nets have to figure some things out, which they haven't even gotten close to yet. I'm going Bucks. Screw it. Going with the Greek. Ooh, Greek pride. They've lost two series before. They're battle tested, I guess. Those Bucks, and they're going to learn from their failure. Uh, I still think the Nets have Kevin Durant and James Harden, so I'm going to roll with them. Eastern Conference Finals, Sixers versus the Nets in a, me and Jay's world. Sixers versus the Bucks in John's world. Who will represent the Eastern Conference? Nets. I concur. Nets. John, they Milwaukee. do not exist in your universe. Milwaukee. Still riding Milwaukee. with the Greek. Milwaukee. I'm All going right. with the worst possible NBA Finals for the NBA, the Utah Jazz and the Milwaukee Bucks. Oh, the my Lord. The NBA would absolutely abhor seeing they is that not the worst NBA finals as far while the net rating being, finals the net the battle of net rating and advanced statistics the two teams with the best differentials be, so that would be the lowest rated awesome NBA finals because it would go seven and people would be like oh I don't give a shit about Milwaukee and in, in, in Utah and all of us diehards would be like this has been seven amazing games. Like that's Milwaukee how would become going. America's team because no one can get themselves to root for the Utah Jazz. That's true. I think it'd be a, a wonderful series. I think it's going to be Nets Lakers, and uh, I think the Nets end up winning. Um, yeah. You'll be surprised by my reasoning. I think it's Kevin Durant and James Harden. <laughs> Jay, your finals right. and winner. That's probably right. I got. The Lakers winning the joint. Lakers. Thus cementing this fake season that has not been real and their two championship as both being candy ass. 
They're going to really need to earn it. Lakers-Nets finals would be the exact opposite of Milwaukee-Utah from the league's perspective. Oh, that my would God. Be as that, you know, Adam Silver Jeff's would be like. as it gets. Yeah, they, he'd be doing cartwheels naked down 50. LA, New York, my God, it would be wild. It'd be like everything. It's, that is the exact series that they want. They want that New York series. They want, And they want like that almost like you either got Lakers fans or Nets fans. Uh, you got Knicks fans hate watching. You got Celtics fans hate watching. Like if you you're got everyone, it's fan. like it's got LeBron stands. It's got KD stands. It reaches out to teams like people who don't even have teams. It's the most star power you would ever have in a finals. I actually I wonder if people in Boston would watch because no one wants to see the Lakers win this title because that would be their 18th by their count. Um, then I would have to root for the Nets. Yeah, but the Kyrie factor. Yeah, but I uh, don't care about Kyrie. Yeah, but that's the whole thing. I don't know. I think the best case scenario for people in Boston is that you get that Utah-Milwaukee thing, and I don't know. Anybody but the Lakers, I suppose. That's my general uh, general thought uh, on the matter. Well, we did it. We predicted the entire rest of the season just as uh, accurate we were or in our regular season predictions. Uh, I think that whatever we say is clearly going to come Whoever- true. Whoever makes the graphs of oh my god of us graphs. is going to have a tough time with that playoff. Yeah, I couldn't I even follow it along, and I was in the. I country. completely fucked it up. I, I, I my I think my my finals matchup was actually wrong. It's this damn uh, playing game. It confuses everything. If we recorded not, tomorrow, we would have been fine by that. I. But at least I didn't say Lamarcus Aldridge plays for the Nets. So yeah, that yeah. was a tough one. That was a tough moment for the kid. <laughs> So no matter what happens here, I didn't have the worst moment of the podcast. My and that's dang. all we're looking for. We're just My not dang. looking to be terrible. Uh, John Corrales, the host of the Locked On Celtics podcast, you can also read his work at the Boston Sports Journal. Thank you for joining us. You can buy his book on johncorrales.com, a signed copy for only $30. $30. That's, that is an epic Father's Day gift. People would say that's an amazing Father's Day gift. Mm-hmm. And so check that out at johncorrales.com. Uh, check out the podcast we did on Locked On Celtics, uh, giving more of our reactions to the Wizards game. Uh, please rate this show five stars, subscribe, do all those things that us podcast hosts tell you to do. And thank you for, to listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of 